Welcome back to Following Node on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 128, and we've got the episode to talk about. We're doing chapters 100 through 104, with a little asterisk there, of Rhythm of War. Paul, how are you? I'm doing great, Trevor. I'm also really glad that you always know which chapter we're on, because I think if you just came in here one week and asked me, which, what, or, sorry, not chapter, episode, which episode we're on, I think if you just came in here and asked me, I don't know if I would get it right. Well, it but, it does help that I've mapped out that I, our last Rhythm of War chapter episode will be 131. I mapped mm-hmm. that out a couple months ago, so... We are we are well on track. Paul, or Elliot, how are you? I am not okay at <laughs> all. In fact, I think I'm not even yet to like the bargaining stage of grief yet. I'm still in the still in the anger stage. I don't know if I, <laughs> I, don't know if I can do this, guys. You you mentioned that you read this on a plane. How much of it did. did you read for the first time, like all together? I read almost i read like 101 through 104 sitting on a plane okay before and we it was emotional yes before we properly start the episode and i asked for two words and a and a mug and all that fun stuff a couple announcements first of all we are almost done with rhythm of war as uh, we've been talking about here and a lot of people have asking what our next schedule is and I hope this is not too disappointing of news, but we will be taking a hiatus for normal podcast episodes for a couple months. We will be back, uh, promise, but we will be taking hiatus for the holidays of this uh, of this year here. Ending Rhythm of War seemed like a good time to take that, that break. We've got several things coming up in uh, each of our personal lives. Uh, Paul recently got engaged. Mm-hmm. I have a a little one that my wife and I are expecting uh, due soon. So we will be taking some time off to do all of those fun activities. So we will be taking a couple months off. You can, not to put a definite date on it yet, but we you can likely expect us to be back with regular episodes March either the beginning of March or maybe we will be starting recording at the beginning of March, which would put posts right at about the uh, the middle of March. So you can expect that from us. You can also expect some other content specifically on the YouTube channel to go up between now and then. We won't leave you completely out to dry between the end of Rhythm of War and the start of what we're doing next. So yeah. go ahead, Paul. We'll- We'll be looking to do just some some little other videos. Um, we're still thinking about it. Honestly, if y'all have anything in particular you think would be cool to see, um, we're kind of sort of freelancing. We're, we've finished... Um, we are finishing Stormlight 4, um, and then we'll, we'll kind of see what we want to sprinkle in between now and then. So um, if y'all have anything that y- you think would be cool to see, definitely comment and uh, or join our Discord and... I'd be curious to hear. So, and we we definitely appreciate everybody's patience as we we take a little bit of a break. We've been 
going pretty hard for about two and a half years without a, a single break in that time. So this is a, a chance for us to, to stave off any, you know, burnout that might be sneaking up on us. But yeah, I'm really excited to to keep going further and kind of clean up the the rest of the Cosmere. I, I think at, at the pace Brandon writes, there's pretty much always going to be more books for us to read. So we, we will be back and excited for more content very soon. Yes, we... I've I've not stapled down our schedule yet, but we will likely when we come back, we will likely either be starting with Mistborn or Secret Project One, which releases in in January. So, either one of those two, you can expect us back in, in March for that. And thank you guys for your patience and thanks for coming along with us so far, uh, audio listeners. For the next couple months, you can I I don't know if I will put bonus content on the audio feed because they're not really episodes. I I don't know what I'll do with that, but you can you can check our YouTube channel if your audio feed is is dry. So, you can expect that for us. Now, back to episode 128. Full disclosure for anybody who is first-time reader uh and following along with us, we all three of us have read to 110, to the end of 110. That includes next week's ep- uh, chapters for the ep- uh, for the episode next week. Mm-hmm. We will not be deliberately talking about or spoiling per se next week's episode, but we will also not be pretending that we haven't read it, and we won't be staving off any stupid questions that are clearly answered in the next week's episode. So we have read it. I suggest that you go and read it as well, and then come back. Listen to this week and next week, you know, back to back if that's how you want to do it. So we we yeah, have read to I, 110. I would, I would highly recommend that you read to 110 beforehand because I'm sure things will be mentioned that are important if you care about spoilers at all. I'll be pretty impressed if you set down the book after 104, 104. and didn't keep reading. Yes. <laughs> but if you are that person, go ahead, read a little further. But I'd be willing to bet that 99% of you were not able to put the book down at the end of chapter 104. Uh, 104 is quite the uh, stopping off point. I apologize about that. <laughs> uh, Paul, do we have anyone on our mug today? We do. I, I'm glad you uh, I'm pr- glad you remembered, Trevor. Thank you. Um, and, and it's kind of, I think, our last order of business or so. But we have a new surgeon on the block. And that is... Dun, 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 my bad handwriting once again. Tessa. I think this one is actually kind of readable. I don't know if y'all can actually read it, but mm-hmm. I tried to write it really big. Tessa is a surgeon, and we're very, very thankful for uh, the support, as always. Thank you so much. And the, Thank you. The mug Thank you, Tessa. Is a really big jar. 20, 24... It has markings of ounces, which you probably can't read here, but this is 24 ounces. And it says Alabama Sweet Tea Company. So, all right. Yeah, I don't have any sweet tea on me, but we've got some uh, water for you, Tessa. Thanks so much for the support. I got you covered. I'm drinking sweet tea tonight. That should be like a a Patreon goal for us or something. Paul does an entire episode in in his Alabama. (laughs) All right, now. Y'all come back now, you hear? (laughs) You sweet honeys. All right. Two words to summarize episode 108, 128. Elliot. Faith and wish. Okay. Paul? Ooh, I'm going to add one to that. 
hope and loss. Four good words. Let's talk about Rhythm of War. All right, let's start with Elliot. So my words were were both orbiting around hope. Hope was the word I wanted to pick, but I needed it too. So I actually split it into what I kind of view as the two different types of hope. And we see this, we've already had this discussion a couple of times. It's come up with Dalinar and Taravangian. I yeah. think we might have just brought it up on our own. I know I've talked about it because it's a very Tolkien-type concept, so I, I've referenced that before. Um, but in this chapter, we see a, a really interesting discussion between Dalinar and Yasna about hope, and they kind of argue about what is hope. And, and Yasna uh, very directly references, well, it's just the wish that you have that that things are going to get better. And Dalinar challenges that as more of the the faith side of hope, of that more belief in a better outcome than what you're in currently, which I really enjoy that dichotomy between those two types of hope and you know understanding what you can cling to as as a human. They even talk about it in that chapter that it's it's part of being human is having that hope. Yeah. Hopefully I didn't steal too much of your thunder, Paul. Nope, not at all. Um, so mine, I actually, I said hope first because I wanted to tack it on to, to Elliot's there, but uh, I was going to specifically say loss and hope um, in that order because I feel that our characters here, as we're kind of entering like a pinnacle point, um, a pivotal moment in our story, uh, I think our characters are starting to realize that they're going to have to... <clears throat> Like that, that this battle is there's going to be tremendous loss if not complete annihilation. Um, but in the midst of all the loss that is going on around them, um, our characters find hope, and that's one of my favorite story tropes or or things in, in a story. So I really appreciate that. But those are my two words. Into chapter one hundred. We are setting up our, our Sander Lanch for the next two episodes at least. I don't know what comes after that. We've only read two one ten. That's not quite the end of the book, but we're pretty close. We we get the scene where the what will obviously be an epic score is beginning. We we, we get the slow drums in the in the background and Kaladin strapping on his his bridge uniform or bridge four uniform that David has has found for him and the sibling calls and asks for help and Kaladin and Tef start making a plan of okay they found the last node let's let's get going we're going to go free uh, all the radiance as many as we can and and run that's the plan and so they split up into three groups. Kaladin is going to go distract the pursuer. Teft and Lift are going to sneak into the infirmary room as best they can and go free as many radiance as they can and jump out the window. 
And then Relaine and David are headed down to the pillar room and Navani to see if they can help down there. What'd you guys get out of this episode or this chapter? Well, out of this entire episode. Wow. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> I'll sit back. No. Well, something that I thought was really cool about this and, and what has me really excited. And we talked about this a little bit before in previous episodes is we, it's been the question of who's going to be our next Bondsmith. And we've we've tossed about around Relaine, and we've even seen it kind of nudged at that of the sibling is kind of okay with Relaine. Um, the sibling sounds like she would, you know, bond Relaine if given the opportunity. Um, and and here, like the sibling says, send me Relaine, you know. And so I got really excited because, you know. Trevor's tried to, to bait us, I think, a little bit before on saying, ooh, do you think Dabit is going to be the Bondsmith? And um, although I, I do like Dabit, uh, I think Relaine has been a consistent character, like, having impact throughout the our story overall. And so I think it'd be really cool if he became a Bondsmith. And also just that we would have, a like, an Alethi and a uh, Parshendi Bondsmith duo <laughs> that'd be pretty cool um yeah but so that that's kind of what i had and what i was curious to see it does not unfold the way i may have thought it would um which we'll talk about more in the next episode um but i this is what i kind of had my eyes on for a while i i definitely scooted up to the edge of my seat as soon as Relaine's name came up there, because I completely agree with you, Paul. I think Relaine makes a lot of sense as a bondsmith for a lot of reasons. And the idea of kind of having a, a human and a singer fill those roles at the same time was really cool. Of course, spoilers for a little bit of spoilers for what comes ahead. That doesn't quite happen. Although Relaine does get his moment in the, the spotlight, which I, I really enjoyed, but we'll unpack that later, of course. Yeah, I. There's something important that Teft and Kaladin have a conversation about, but again, I will revisit this with further context next week. Anything else for one ten or one? Stop it! <laughs> Anything else for one hundred? <laughs> uh, well, whew. all right, Trevor, let's wake up here. Sorry, one oh one, gentlemen. Dalinar, go. Of course. Um, I I have to add this. I'm sorry. Uh, f- totally breaking the fourth wall here for our, our viewers. Um, uh, we actually re-recorded the talking about chapter 100, and both times <laughs> Trevor said, "All right, chapter 110." Moving on to chapter 101, and I just think that's funny that he did it twice by accident both times. So, anyways. <laughs> Uh, chapter 101, um, we, uh, well, at least one thing that I thought was really cool with this and, and what I have to talk about, which you know, may have other things, but we see that Dalinar has finished writing Oathbringer, the in-world Oathbringer, um, and he gives that to Yasna um, to be a commentator. Um, Trevor probably knows more info on what that actually, like, means 
in the this world. Right. Uh, but basically, she's going to like proofread it or give critiques and say thanks. But um, I may let you explain some more on that. But but I'll come back to to some things as well. Yeah. So I don't know if this is how Voronism usually uses this format, but there's in a typical Voron textbook, and they talk about this in this chapter. There is the author's text. The author is usually a man, and he's articulating it to his lovely Voran wife, who is then writing it down because men can't write or read. And so as she's doing that, she's also making notes like in the margins, in the bottom of commentary, whether it's in support or contradiction of her husband or her lord or whatever, uh, it's it's stereotypical for them to make commentary as they're going of what they or different views that they have or similar views that that they have and Dalinar is asking Yasna here to use it as a as a critique as an editing page paper for for his book and then just publish that as a publish the counter arguments on the same page that he is making his arguments, making his claims of contradicting Voronism, talking about everything he talks about in Oathbringer, whatever. And he knows that Yasna will not be the loudest supporter of, of Oathbringer. They have a lot of different beliefs, spiritually, religiously, on, on Roshar, between the two of them. And he makes it a point to give it to Yasna and says, and Yasna says, I'm not going to pull my punches, Uncle. This you you should give this to Navani, because she she'll be way more lenient with you, with your points here. And Dalinar says, "No, I I know that I'm giving this to you purposely because I want you to tear it apart with your arguments, and I want this to spark discussion as opposed to a religion. I don't want this to be people are following me religiously. I want them to be." thinking about Oathbringer critically. And I can see this going a couple different ways for Dalinar. <clears throat> First, I think it's really awesome that he wants to collaborate on this, that he would go to someone like Yasna, who he knows is really smart, but also doesn't agree with him to say, hey, I've completed this, but it's not done as a work. I need your input into this. That That's really cool and humble of him to do that. It also might work pretty well in his his favor here in that a good persuasive method to use is to acknowledge your, I'll use the term enemy lightly, your enemy's views on a topic as well. If you completely just ignore any counterpoints to your argument, it starts to sound kind of kind of fishy, like you're, you're only shining a light on, on things that support you. If you take a more well-rounded approach to say, Here's the points that I'm making. Here's the the counterpoints and where they kind of fit in and where maybe I uh, agree or disagree with them. That makes a much more persuasive work in total. So that might work in his favor if people can read what Dalinar has said and then read kind of Yasna's rebuttal of that a little bit. Um, it might be dangerous a little bit in that if, yeah, if Navani, or not Navani, if Yasna goes and kind of picks apart every little argument that he makes in there, then then maybe not so much. But I think this is a cool moment. I think this is a, a cool way to go about this for them to to work together on the finished work of, of Oathbringer here. 
I I agree. And I, I really like this for two reasons, really. Like, one, I, I really respect Dalinar for, like, it's kind of like not backing down from a challenge or, or making, not cutting corners, really, to do it, like, the right way. He's asking Yasna, who disagrees with a lot of the fundamentals that they live by, um, and, like, the, the deities and Vorinism and a lot of stuff like that. Um, she doesn't believe in it, and he's asking her to be the reader and editor of this. So, because he, he wants it to, like, unite. He wants it to be a, a really good, like, point I guess, for, for people. Um, and so I respect the way that he's doing it. Uh, it's also made me wonder if maybe maybe Yasna reading Oathbringer will have, like, some shifts or some development or some, like, changes of heart. Because we've seen she's kind of the know-it-all-ish character or she's, like, really academic and smart um, and those other things. And I'm wondering if we'll see some like forms of development where maybe she starts to reconsider things. Um, I don't really have any complaints with like how Yasna is as a character in her story. Like no, nothing pressing, but I think it would be cool. Or there's probably a little bit of room for some kind of refinement or things like that. She's almost felt untouchable. Um, and I would like to see a little more humanity, I guess with her. Um, and so I think that's a possibility, which I would love to see, um, is if we see changes of heart from her, like, reading Dalinar's writing. Was it Elliot or Paul who had the word hope as one of their words? My One of my words was literally hope, okay. but both of Elliot's words were pointing towards hope. <laughs> right. So, Elliot, I know you have words on this uh, and want to talk about it more, but... I was just looking up if hope was capitalized in either 101 or 104 because hope shows up that word hope shows up several times in both chapters. It is not capitalized in either chapter, but it is italicized in 104. So which hopefully italicized does not mean sarcasm font. <laughs> yes, hopefully, hopefully not. not. Uh, mm -hmm. But did you want to commentate on Yasna and Dalinar's quick discussion here about hope? I do. I, I really do. And I mentioned this a little bit in with my two words coming into the beginning of this with the different views on what, what hope is. Yasna takes a very aggressive line of saying hope is is emotions. Hope is what you have when you're losing a battle and you just hope that it will get better. and. Dalinar, and actually, I think it's it's actually Yanagon, I think, the the Azir Prime who's in the room with him at St. Adam. He, he actually pipes in, too, and pushes back on that a little bit and kind of says, you know, that there is there is room for a little irrationality. And Yanagon even pipes in and says, well, that's, yeah, that's what makes us human, is to hold on to hope even when it's not logical. And... Yasna's really fixated on that that hope as a as a wish. Just uh, well, I, I I wish this was better, or eh, I hope that that turns out better. But Dalinar, I think, is talking about a different kind of hope, and it's just one page before this where Dalinar is actually thinking about hope more as as that faith, 
that belief that it's going to get better, not just a, a wish that it will get better. And it's the, the part that is on the previous page, he's actually remembering Kaladin. He's thinking of Kaladin off in Eurythiru and realizing that he actually has some hope in Kaladin. It's kind of brought up, well, what can Kaladin do against an entire army of, of fused? And a little spark of hope is still within Dalinar. He thinks, you know what? I've seen Dalinar, or I've seen Kaladin do pretty amazing things. And he remembers back to, I'm trying to remember what book this happens. In. It's probably Words of Radiance, where Kaladin and Shallan fall into the chasms. Yep. And they're trying to get back. But Dalinar and the rest of the army already get back. And all of Kaladin's men set up a vigil at the chasms because they know they know that Kaladin is coming home against the the impossible odds and Dalinar in that moment kind of writes him off as guys you need you need to give this up Dalinar remembers back to that here in this moment and realizes that that hope that belief in Kaladin that his men had he now has a little bit of that himself and that's the kind of hope that is so I think fundamental to humanity is that belief that can and will get better, not just the, you know, wish and, and prayer that it that it might. So I have I was a little bothered by Yasna's take on this. I I wish I could sit down with her and, and argue with her, although she'd probably win. She's pretty smart. She probably would win. I would not want to sit down and argue with Yasna. She would make <laughs> me unbelieve everything I think I know. So right. I would like to sit down and argue with Wit though. Talking with Wit would be so frustrating. He uh -huh. would not he would not give you a straight answer to anything, even uh -huh. if it was a question or not. It'd be fun and amusing. And he'd just be making fun of you the whole time. Yeah, I need a good roast. With the with Dalinar asking Yasna to be the annotator of that's the word I was looking for in our other recording that we deleted. With with Yasna being the annotator of Oathbringer, I wonder, and I have never wondered this before, and I forgot about this chapter until this reread, so this is a genuine question for me. I wonder if we're ever going to revisit Oathbringer, uh, like the, the book Oathbringer. I never would have thought that we would have revisited Oathbringer as a textbook in, in world. I, th I figured that was his closing arc of book three that's his that's his character arc that's his ideal he writes oathbringer we're done but i wonder if somebody in if we'll see it in book five or maybe even further in like stormlight era two we might see yasna making her annotations her commentary of oathbringer or if it would be some young heroes like aiden from our interludes or or somebody uh, who's been inspired by all of our heroes of this era. He comes in next era, and he has, you know, Oathbringer, his treasured textbook uh, from from Dalinar the Bondsmith, and it's, you know, annotated by by Yasna. So I wonder if we'll ever revisit that. That would be that would be super cool. That would be a fun way to tie like the two eras together. Even even as just like an Easter egg, but but even more so if it becomes you know something important in a future story arc, I can definitely see that. If it's like the next Way of Kings, I feel right. like Delanor had the Way of Kings and was like, oh, Noadon knew everything, you know. And then we we might see someone who's like, oh, Dalinar, 
knew everything. Right. Anything else for 101, gentlemen? All right. 102. This is our Sanderlanch. Welcome to the avalanche of Brandon Sanderson, gentlemen. Does anyone want to start us off? Uh, I can just start us off by saying I, I apologize for doubting you, Brandon Sanderson. I, I finished chapter 101 and I promptly hopped on the Discord and wrote on there, where's my Sanderlanch? I was promised a Sanderlanch. I have not received it. I am I am now upset. Uh, lo and behold, I was exactly two pages away from it. So I, I apologize for doubting. I, my faith has been renewed. That is pretty funny. We did laugh at you a little bit in our spoiler channels. Yeah, I, this, I can see that. Does this chapter start with Venley point of view? She's trying to get it through does. the oath gate. Yep. Someone want to take that? I do. There's a fantastic section in here that, that is really good just on its own. And it's buried in so, so much other awesome stuff that's happening around it that you could so easily miss it. And it's this interaction, this conversation between Venley and, and Timber, her, her spren. I, this is so well done. This is so, so well done. All that the text says in this dialogue, there's a dialogue going, going back and forth between Venley and Timber. All that it says for, for Timber's responses are Timber pulsed, period. That's it. And then Venley responds. So all we're really getting is one side of, of the phone conversation, right? Yes. You, you hear someone talking on the phone, all you can hear is your, your, your side, and you wonder maybe what the other person is saying. In this instance, you don't have to wonder at all. The context clues are all there in Venlo's responses. You can see exactly what Timber is saying, and it is, it is so fantastic. Venley is really, Venley's really doubting herself. And really questioning, what are we doing? I keep making these mistakes. What is going on? How do I know I'm going in the right direction? And Timber's responses, if you you read between the lines and kind of put the pieces together, Timber is saying things like, I want you. I believe in you. You are a beautiful mistake, or maybe like a wonderful mistake, I think is something that, that Venley references. And then mm -hmm. they end up talking about direction moving in the direction that matters. Like all of this is so just like encouraging from, from Timber of really boosting Venley up and saying, yeah, you're making mistakes, but I chose you and you saved me. It's a really powerful moment, I think, packed in here that you could easily gloss over it if you're getting you know sucked into the rest of the, the Sanderlanch. But I really enjoy this moment. Yeah, I, I agree. I did think that we left that there was one plot thread here that I thought was going to be really important. And now I'm questioning myself whether it's not important at all or we're meant to think that it's not important and it's going to come back later. And that is the the writ that Rabonio gave Venley. The writ of authority. There's this big, yeah. there's this big deal about Rabonio released Venley from service 
wrote her this writ of passage, which lets her get away with a lot of thing kind of in the name of Rabonio. It's brought up in this chapter. They're, they're trying to use it to get through the oath gate to go back to, I think they're trying to get to Kolinar, Kolinar yep. so that they can eventually get to the Shattered Plains to go try and find what we think is going to be the remnant of the listeners, the, the ones that left that escaped. And there's even mentions in here of like, they're about to use it. They're about to do this. Venli ends up running off and she very specifically like hands it to one of the other people by name. Like here, hold on to me this for me. And I wrote down in my notes. I was like, Ooh, that's going to be important. And then given the course of events over the next, you know, eight chapters that we're, we're going to talk about here. I want to say that it's completely irrelevant at this point i don't know i felt like there was a lot of kind of hinting there and then all of a sudden it was not important at all yeah that is a good point that she hands the writ to i don't remember who she hands it to some one of her followers yeah. and says be right back and then she never comes back i i was i was watching that red herring apparently very closely and now <laughs> didn't go anywhere red and a herring we we get the next Navani section unless you have something for Venli Paul no I I was gonna just chime in with general <clears throat> I'm also super excited about we're now in the Sander Lanch um, there's a lot that happens I think honestly what captivated me the most what took my attention is a little further on um, so less so here but this is like the if you have ever seen those like <clears throat> images of how a, a common story arc works like a, a main story arc there's like the hook and then like the ascension or whatever the build then there's the climax of like the pinnacle of of all the action and everything happening and we're like really at the top of the cliff like we're we're at the very we're like at the top of a roller coaster, about to look down and and everything just is off to the races. So, um, well, yeah, Navani doesn't know that. So mm -hmm. she is she's defeated, or at least she feels defeated. Raboniel has tricked her again into making this anti-light weapon, or I don't know if it's fully tricking as opposed to tempting. And Navani knows what she's doing. And then Raboniel abandons their pact and starts and, and makes her anti-stormlight dagger, gives it to Moash. And what does she tell Moash to do? I have to look up the exact terminology, but it's basically break storm blessed. That is what they eventually agree on. But the original command from Raboniel is go kill Kaladin. That is that is his or original assignment. And Moash refuses. Moash That's is insistent right. that you can't kill Kaladin. It is impossible to kill Kaladin. You cannot kill a storm. He is the storm. You can you can't you can't resist it as much as you can resist the high storm that's coming outside. And Raboniel tells him, whatever, just go do whatever you need to do. I, I trust you enough to go dismantle Kaladin, at least. In exchange, Moash is asking for Navani's head on a platter. 
he will he is here to kill Navani, and Rabonia will not let him until Kaladin is dead. So that is the agreement that Kaladin gets decommissioned as a threat in the tower, and then Moash gets to kill Navani. And so Moash walks past Navani on his way to go set his trap for Kaladin. And Navani engages him and and tells and says, "How how dare you? You're you're about to go kill your friend. Do you not feel anything?" And Moash counters with, "No, I don't feel a thing. You have no idea what today will cost me. But no, I don't feel anything. And I'm not sure I believe him. I'm not." sure i believe him we will talk about this more next week when we get some more climaxes here and even next week i don't know if we get the full resolution to this but i i don't think i believe him because his confrontation with navani here seems personal seems fairly personal and if he couldn't feel anything he wouldn't care who navani was he wouldn't be after navani so ruthlessly that's a really good point. Um, this this raises a lot of questions for me. First, I was a little confused whenever he said, you can't kill Kaladin. You can't kill a storm. Um, and it made me think a lot of things. It made me once think that we've always heard him referred to as son of Tanavast, which we like, okay, he's a windrunner, honor, all the things. But I'm wondering if he is, like, on his way or, like, deep down inside or something, more deeply connected to Tanavast than we know, or than, than we thought we knew. Um, and maybe that's why he's being deemed by Moash now as a storm. Okay. Um, it could also just be he knows Kaladin's resilience, he knows how strong he is. Could totally be that, too. Um, but I was reading into it a little bit or, or, or running with that thought. Um, and then to what you were saying, I think you're right. I think he does. Honestly, how I'm almost envisioning it is similar to how we've seen Shalon, where actual Shalon is super repressed and deep down inside, and what is out is formless or others. Um, not in the same way. Um, as the like disorder that Shalon has, but um, in a way where there's like the actual Moash is way, way, way deep down in there, and he's like screaming or something, but it's like a vessel of odium kind of um, right. is doing the like work and the thinking, almost like how Stormform works, right? Um, this is like a spren takes over your body. It's o- almost kind of like that. So you said something funny. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I do that all the time, Trevor. I'm super funny. Back back to the whole you don't believe Moash. I'm kinda I'm with you there. For for reasons that are there later on, but also just this section right here. His statement seems to contradict itself. He says, I don't feel, and then he closes with 
you have no idea what this day will cost me. Well, if you don't feel, why is it going to cost you anything? Yeah. And we've, this, this gets my, this sparks a few ideas in my, in my head. We've, we've mentioned before the idea or the possibility of is Moash redeemable? Mm. And I, I got to say, based on, on this and some content coming up, I think I'm ready to go on record with a prediction. I think Moash will be redeemed. I, I want to make it that strong at this point. Probably not by end of this book. And, and this may not age well if he ends up like dying in the next yeah, few pages. Dead or something in the like next that. chapter. Yes. We haven't finished this book, so I, I really should wait for the finale of this book. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm going to be brave, and I'm going to put it out there right now. I think book five, Sanderlange, Moash, Repents. I don't know how that will go, how that ends, but I think that might be where we're headed with this for exactly this reason. There seems to be a, an, a disconnect in what Moash is saying and what he's doing. And I do think that is going to come to a head. And I think Brandon might just be leading us down the path of giving us a massive dilemma as a reader and making us question ourselves, would we be willing to accept a Moash redemption? I put it on the chalkboard. That is not my prediction. I want to tack on to it. I love that prediction, by the way. I love it a lot. Um, I think it's a great prediction. Adding to it, I started to think, like, how would a redemption or a whatever you want to call it, a betrayal of Odium, how would that begin? How would that happen? And who could, like, influence him? Next book is Zeth's book. And I feel like Zeth is one of our characters who's had to, like, wrestle with feeling of self-redemption or, like, feeling free of guilt or, or things like that maybe the most, or, or, or at least way up there. And I was thinking, you know, I could totally see it happen where they command Vyar or, or Moash to get rid of Zeth, because he's super pesky and super strong. Go get rid of him. Some form of dialogue breaks out, and I could see Zeth being a piece in being like, I did so much wrong, and so much wrong happened to me, and this is what I've been able to do with that. And I that would be incredible. Uh, so that's my prediction I want to tack on to there, that it comes like kind of with Zeth. Um, and I would love that. But anyways, that's no, kind no. of a rabbit trail. No, anyways, we're going further. Okay, okay. so <laughs> do you... Perfect. Do you guys remember the last thing that Zeth said to Teravangian? I don't. I remember the scene. He isn't it where he like comes up to. I imagine Teravangian being locked in like a trailer, like a mobile home. Uh-huh. I don't know why, but that's my <laughs> mental picture. Zeth, Zeth comes up to to Teravangian's the mobile trailer. A and, mobile home? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why. That's just the, that's what he's that's what he's locked up in in okay, his because okay. they talk about it like it's a it's a jail, but so it's not is really this a in jail. an RV park or yes, yeah, yeah. it's in the, they have like the RV yeah. park at the camp, the war camp where they're at, okay. and ter- they're just like, well, we've got an extra mobile home over here, just like lock him in it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Zeth 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 like walks up to that right, or kind of sneaks up to him in 
in guys as a soldier. And then they have a conversation, but I don't remember what they say. So then this ties in exactly to what we're talking about here. Zeth tells Teravangian. Teravangian and Dalinar are having a discussion about, I hope you're wrong. And Teravangian says, yes, I agree with you. I hope I'm wrong. I hope, and you're going to live to see that you're wrong and you will be proven wrong. And you were going to live to see that day. And Zeth comes over after Dalinar leaves and tells him, there are some of us who have gone too far and cannot be redeemed. And that is what Zeth believes. Now, Stormlight 5 theory time. <clears throat> I know we're getting on this train a little early, but it's mm -hmm. it's time. Um, contest of Champions. Who is our number one candidate for Odium's champion? I would say Vire. Vire. Yeah. I would agree with I you. Now, Honor's champion gets a little controversial here. There's there's several good candidates. There's Dalinar. There is Kaladin. There's Adolin. There's Zeth. There's there's a couple. There's several ways you could go with this, but I'm wondering if we get into a strange situation here of Vire about to repent to Kaladin, and Zeth steps in and says no shot and like cuts his head off or something. I I wonder if our contest of champions goes into this is Vire redeemable or not. I think mm. I think that's exactly where we're headed. And some like that's gonna be the question. Like was he redeemable? And somehow that affects way more than just Moash and Kaladin's situation here and it has Cosmere implications of at the end of Stormlight Five. That's I don't I'm not sure where I'm staking a full prediction. I'm just kind of pushing pieces together. There's a picture somewhere here. I just don't know what it will be. I almost envisioned a with that, like in the contest of champions, being like the moment that Moash breaks and then like turns. Like I I I even thought of like what if. They talked about Nightblood being like a piece that that uh, Odium hasn't taken into account. What if like literally in the contest of champions, like Zeth gave Moash Nightblood to like then turn onto Ooh, Odium or something as like a okay. big surprise? Yeah, yeah, that, that Odium wouldn't see coming of like losing his champion. Um, and just to throw more popcorn in the bowl, I think. Another way I could see this spinning is we've talked recently or Yasta and Wit have about contracts and how important that is in their dealings with Odium about, yep. you know, bind him to contracts or he can't violate the terms of this contract, like those kinds of things. What if the the dilemma, this is going like maybe a slightly different direction. What if the dilemma sets it up in such a way that Moash is trying to repent but if they accept his repentance, it breaks the contract. And it lets Odium so, out. Yeah. Right. So that so they are they're left, our heroes are left with this impossible choice of do we allow Moash to return to redeem himself, which we already don't want to do, but in doing so, let Odium out of, you know, the possibility of us defeating him. That would be a dilemma. I, a big one. I'm one hundred percent on board with that because we've had plenty of conversations of 
you cannot make sacrifices based on mm. one life lost, right? We've had those Dalinar Teravangian conversations yep. of saying you can't sacrifice the greater good for that one life. I l hate that. I hate that you brought that up. <laughs> that is like, oh man, oh man, oh boy. Because because th think about it. If that one life is He's like Moash, well, right. But if it's like Kaladin, Kaladin can make that sacrifice, and it's a hero's sacrifice, right. for the good of everyone. You can even see like you know a Dalinar getting on board with that. Like let the soldier sacrifice himself for for all of humanity. Right. But what if it is the evilness that is Moash? trying to come back to the good can you stop that to stop odium oh man oh man oh man oh man we should probably talk about our chapter i now. was gonna say this is supposed to be this is supposed to be stormlight 5 episode coming in like a month not, not today yeah okay okay so Moash gets some sand to go track <laughs> to go track Silfrena, but he he agrees that he will shut down Kaladin, not kill him. And so his plan by the end of this episode is I'm going to use it on Fenderana and dismantle Kaladin by killing Teft. And I know there are people on this podcast that don't rate Teft very highly. I am not one of them. So this episode certainly hit me correctly, as De Brandon Sanderson intends. I don't can't say that for my fellow podcast hosts. Go ahead, Paul. How did you feel about this uh, uh, 103, 104? Well, the way... So... I had a prepared speech for this, actually, Trevor. I, Thank you I, for asking. I bet you did. I had a prepared speech for next episode. I don't know if it's applicable here, but all I wanted to say with this is I have, I have vocally spoken out that Teft is not one of my favorite characters. Uh -huh. I never thought he was that exciting. He fulfills a role in our story. Uh, but with this... With his life at stake, my hat is, of course, off to Teft, and I have respect for him. Um, he is not my favorite character in our story, but of course, if he is going to die <laughs> to the hand of Moash, I am, of course, going to feel a lot of sympathy and, and feelings with that. Um, so, my hat is off, and I have the utmost respect. Um, but yes, he... Um, I don't know. What do you want me to say? He 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 wasn't in my top couple of characters, but he will be surely missed if he dies. Um, <laughs> which did we've said read through chapter one ten before this episode. But did did you shed any tears, Paul, for chapter one hundred four? I did not like literal, actively shed literal tears. Tear. No, I did not have any actual tears. I don't really cry from books. I also finished Hero of Ages recently, and I didn't cry in that either. But I've heard people cry in that. Well, I it was a good. To... It was really good, by the way. It was very good. No, I just wanted no, to but... contrast. I just wanted to contrast your answer with the answer to my next question, which is, Trevor, did you cry at one hundred four? So I will be honest. Um, for one hundred, spoilers for one ten. I, I don't know how many times we're going to say that, but I keep 
feeling I yeah, need to say that. It's cat's out of the bag. Um, no. Uh, neither on my first read nor on this read did I cry at 104. I was rising. I was I, I thought you did cry. No. In this book. I, I remember a, you saying you cried in this book. I absolutely it. did, and it's next episode. But the okay. at 104 is not my it is oh, not okay. where I break. I know where. And I I on my first read I probably shed A tier. But then I've got the book on at like 1.25 speed or whatever, and I just keep listening because you know, I need to know what happens with Kaladin and I'll cry next episode. I'll leave it at that. Okay. 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 That's fair. That is the more heart wrenching scene. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. We'll we'll talk about it then. I have scenes to compare it to. But today is Tef's episode. So they they get into the infirmary and Moash is pretending to be one of the radians under the blankets. And he jumps up, slices Lift in half with his shard blade, and has a brawl between these two chapters between Teft, and they have a have a little bit of dialogue. I, I appreciate that Brandon Sanderson doesn't draw out the death too long. Like there is dialogue between Moash and Teft, but it's not like a a cheesy like movie line where the villain is talking to the the hero for half an hour and so that the villains get a chance to you know do whatever that the whole scene is probably like two minutes of real time of quick dialogue okay moash is obviously going to be the victor here and tef dies so the the quick dialogue they do have though is very very good and i want to talk about it but before that did you guys have anything else uh before we begin to close the episode with this part I, I do actually want to go talk go back a little bit and talk about Sill. Yep. Is now the right time to do that now? It is, yes. Okay. But before we get into full on in the, the Tef stuff, actually back in chapter 102, 102. Kaladin has a reunion with Sill, which one I thought was a little understated. Yes. She's been gone for a little while. Such that, and maybe this was just Trevor baiting us. I was starting to get quite worried about. I was baiting you. What, how that was going to happen? Like, what was going to go down Trevor. there? Is she captured? Is she dead? I will say, when when Moash walked out of the room away from Rabonio with the dagger to go, we know kill a Spren. I'm thinking Sill. Yeah, I'm thinking when I was a hundred percent falling for the bait of. I think he's off to kill Sill to break Kaladin. Turns out, of course, that that's not actually his plan, which did catch me off guard. But the, the moment where Sill comes back and has a moment with Kaladin, I thought was great. And they even have a little Sill moment. We, we used to, we used to ha- coin that term way back in like Way of Kings, and we haven't really had a ton of those. But I, I want to say that this was a good Sill moment and there's not even any dialogue in it. It's just that they they reunite, they share a quick moment, and then there's this brief moment. I actually just want to read it because the, the writing is just pretty epic. Then her shape fuzzed, and she was instantly in a uniform like his, colored colon blue. Kaladin nodded, 
then turned and continued, shadowed by the hopes and prayers of hundreds, shadowed by his own reputation, a man who would never cry in the night huddled against the wall, terrified, a man he was determined to pretend to be one last time. And that one last time bit really got me because we're kind of in Kaladin's head at that, at that moment. I'm trying to figure out like, why does he think this is his last act? I, I love how dramatic he is in his own head. It's really funny Very. to me. He's like, all right, last time in a bridge for uniform, last time doing X. Let, like, if this is my last time, then great. Like, he's so dramatic. I love him. Every day is yeah. his last. Yes, exactly. He he's very he's very intense. Everything Kaladin does, right? It's very it's very intense. And this like is like a storm, one of those. if you will. And, mm, and at the yes. beginning of the book, he's like, "That was the last time I'll ever fly with the Windrunners. I am I am retired. I am dead. I'm 22. I'm finished." You know, like he's so he's so dramatic. I love him. The last time and I may is... ever pick up a spear. Yes. Go on. And this is definitely another one of those moments, but I feel like it it still it still goes over well as a written piece. Like it still, even though it is dramatic and maybe a little, yeah, teenage drama queen, it's still like it still pulls me in. It Absolutely. still gets me gets me there with him of oh man, he he's so ready for this. I'm not quite sure why he thinks it has to be his last act as bridge four but it still builds a powerful moment for what's about to happen. Yeah. And we'll talk about the last act more next episode, but as the, as he's marching into the atrium, I have this incredible vivid scene of the heavenly ones who are usually up in their perch in the, the, the high tower, like descending with their long robes, like about to watch this, pers the pursuer and Kaladin fight. And, all the humans are marching behind Kaladin and they create like a half circle with the singers who are like at the entrance and everyone's there to watch it. And then they clash and then Teft and lift, like as everybody's watching, they run around the, the side to, to go to the infirmary room. I, great writing by Mr. Brandy Sandy. Very. And yeah, we can go back to Teft now, but I didn't, I didn't want to miss that, that Kaladin moment. Yeah. Okay, Teft versus Moash. Moash makes quick work of Lift as she's not expecting it. Throws her against the wall. He has already tied up Liren and Hesina and poor little two-year-old Oradin. Um, <laughs> it's also tied up. Um, why is that necessary, by the way? W Moash, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> it's two-year-old. Let him let him sit there. It's fine. Um, speaking of dramatic people. Um, and he makes fairly quick work of Teft, but once Teft realizes that, oh, he's not here for Kaladin, he's here for me, Teft resigns himself to fight Moash. Why? What does Moash do to make him fight him? Because originally he's going to, video game term, he's going to kite him, right? He's going to run, run him around the room and distract Wish him until, until yeah. Kaladin comes and helps him, right? But what does Moash do? He just wantonly 
starts slaying Radiance. He starts hacking at Radiance's faces and killing them. And it's that moment that Teft resigns himself to this fate of it it is it's my turn to go and I'm going and I'm going. And it's the way that he signs himself out here cuz at that point he's resigning himself to death but he is not resigning Fenderana. He has no idea that Fenderana of how much or how much danger Fenderana is in here. So Teft is willing to lay down his own life here. He is not laying down Fenderana's life until obviously it's too late. And Moesh stabs her with magic magic dagger here. So what did you guys think of Teft's death scene? Which to set the scene a little bit right, Moash should not be able to see Fenderana. Right. And so they've gotten used to, one, you know that you can't really usually interact with Spren. You, you can affect him with a shard blade. I think we may have heard of examples of that. But he shouldn't be able to see him, so Fenderana should be able to zip around and, and no problem. But Raboniel gave him the sand, the black sand that turns white when exposed to investiture. Right. And Moash has spread that around the room. So using that, he can watch where the sand turns white and know that that's where Teft Spren is and catch him off guard because they have no idea to expect that he might even, one, be able to, or two, want to attack the Spren of the Radiant, not the Radiant himself. Right. I did definitely gasp whenever Fenderana was taken, what was destroyed, because... One, this is like the first time we've seen this happen, I think. I mean, we've seen Jezrian get stabbed, but that was different. Mm -hmm. The only other time you've seen a Spren be physically attacked is Oathbringer. Kaladin is saving What's-His-Toes, the four-year-old boy, and he's being attacked by Void Spren, and... and he uses Sill as a shard blade to damage a Spren, and Sill is shaken up by it. So a, a living blade can do damage to a at least a low form Spren. The, the, those aren't like void Spren, like mm. void gem heart Spren. Those are like you know the equivalent of a wind Spren, I guess. Yeah. I'm also just with that getting imagery of like. Like swinging it through and in shades more or whatever, like Cal or Sil just gets smacked into this sprint, like other person. Yes. You imagine someone picks you up and just smacks you into another person. Imagining that. Anyways. There's a few bits of this Teft scene that I think are really important that I, I really that they got me. The first is like leading into these last two chapters. Teft is proud. Yes, he is. In, in a in a good way. Teft is proud of himself for what he has done with Kaladin. I think it, that's actually the moment where he's watching Kaladin step up to fight the pursuer. And there's this, there's this, you know, flash of pride in Teft of, I contributed to that. I, I saved him from death. He was injured from the high storm about to die. And I brought him those, those spheres of stormlight, which then enabled him to heal. Teft even thinks, kind of, you know, plays it out even further. That saving of Kaladin 
enabled the saving of Dalinar, which enabled the perpendicularity that we got that stopped Odium from taking over the world. It enabled the discovery of Eurythibru. You, you can trace pretty much everything in our story back to that moment where Teft saves Kaladin's life yeah. after he'd been strung up in a high storm. And Teft realizes in that moment that he has done a good thing. And that's so cool. And then later on in the chapter, right before the end, he accepts forgiveness of himself yeah. for the terrible things that he'd done in his past, which we know we got revealed in this book, I think, that he was the one directly responsible for the death of his parents, yep. at least his father. His father, yep. And he forgives himself of that in this moment. And it it lights this hope inside him. It specifically talks about in this chapter how he basically goes to his death with this hope inside him that he says, I remember it's directly to Moash or to himself, this cannot be taken away from me. I have this this light. Yeah. It was really, really cool. Absolutely. Completely agree. The The last words of Teft is a challenge to Moash and setting up the, the duel Moash or Teft says, sorry, I'll back up one more line. Moash asks, how are the men Teft? And Teft says, they're, they're good because they're, they're safe from you. And Moash says, not all of them. And that's when Teft realizes, oh, he's here for me, not for for Kaladin. And so as Teft surrenders his life and realizes he's losing this battle, he challenges Moash with the haunting words of, I die knowing I'm loved. I have something you will never have. That is such a epic line to go out on that is awesome i love it it almost almost tipped over into cheesy for me okay okay but but not quite i think it holds it together this would have to be delivered in a movie so i i'm really you guys can probably tell me how it goes over in the audiobook because like the the way you, ha you you believe that line as you say it is going to make or break whether it, it works but I, I think it works I think it works and I agree with you it is a really really powerful closing moment for Teft it is really good the audiobook is usually amazing so I'm sure it, it's pretty in incredibly done there yeah, I don't know if I remember exactly how it sounds in that line, but now I should go back and be more intentional with that. I I was definitely not thrown back by it, so I know they did a really good job. Uh, Michael Kramer and Kate Reddick, we've talked about it on here before, do excellent job, do do an excellent job with the audiobooks. And specifically, who it's coming from? This old gruff sergeant who hates himself more than he hates anyone else for him to acknowledge that he can be proud of something in his life that being Kaladin as he's walking into this room 
after an entire lifetime of stuff he has regretted and hidden from, to to hold that close and say, I can be proud of that. I that is something that was successful in my life that I I can hold on to. And then he knows. He knows how much Kaladin cares for him and the rest of Bridge 4 care for him. And he doesn't shrug it off as he has his entire life of, I don't deserve that care. I don't deserve that love. He accepts it. He knows it. I am loved. You are not Moash. You will never have it. I think it's a great line. Fantastic. Do you guys have anything else for this episode before we go on to next episode and talk about 105 through 110? If I keep talking, I'm going to start getting emotional, so so we better we better cut it now. And we'll save that for next week next week. Paul, boy. Um No. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Teft, one of my absolute all favorite <laughs> Stormlight characters. You will be missed by me at least. I don't know about Paul. I, I will say Ooh. I, I will say. I, I have to respond. Um I now understand why everyone was so upset with me not liking Teft. <laughs> okay. Once once there's the respect for someone who's given their life, that's different. That's totally Ab- different. Absolutely. And, maybe, and knowing what I have now, I'm not going to slander Teft. I, I will I will make I will make you redo that that ranking quiz, I think, when we finish the book. Well, that's unfair. Well, I just want to see where, well, where it ranks the book, now. Well, after the book, yeah, we will, yeah. I'll, a lot of things will shift around. Right. Know. All right, thank you for joining me, Paul and Elliot. We will reconvene next week. Life before death. Uh, strength before weakness. Theft is dead. Turn it.